and you wrote a couple of years ago i ran a survey amongst 150 of my friends one of the questions i asked them was what is your biggest fear yeah (laughs) (laughs) hey friend it's david nabinski here in brooklyn here at the portfolio career podcast web you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live This conversation is with Samani Maboub. This year in New York, uh, Samani has become a fast friend. I first met her through a monthly event series that she co-hosts called Storytell. I loved the event and I loved her energy and thankfully we've become friends since. And I'm so excited to share her story for you. In this episode, you'll learn about designing a life around relationships, experiences, and travel, her blog, hosting events, and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter, which is a substack called Portfolio Career. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Samani. Lots of places to start, mm-hmm. um, but maybe how about what do you either love or admire about Deb Mills Schofield? Is that oh, how you say her yes. name? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Demil Schofield, uh, for context, is one of my old college mentors. She's, I went to Brown University, and she's an alum. And one of my favorite things about her is this idea of finding blue lobsters in your life. Uh, blue lobsters are incredibly rare, but she lives in a place in Maine where there is an extremely high proportion of blue lobsters in her, I think, lake or pond. And... When she comes to Brown to mentor, she's constantly encouraging us to like find the blue lobsters in our life. She mentors like blue lobsters. And I was very lucky to meet her my freshman year of college. I had no reason to meet her. (laughs) Uh, She like worked with our entrepreneurship center and she was doing office hours. And I just thought this woman sounds really cool. She basically invented uh, cellular internet through AT&T Bell Labs. She like, I think, called some of the patents for her, worked on the team for that. And just sounded like really cool. And so I went one day with no agenda. And I'm like, I just want to get to know you. You seem really cool. And I joke she became my second mother. She was like my Jewish mother. (laughs) She gave me some of the most profound piece of advice very early on in my college career, which was Brown's education is not, the value is not in its education. It's in its people. Spend the least amount of time in the library, behind books, in your room, and the most amount of time engaging with your professors, making new friends, meeting people, networking. So that's a big reason why I actually became a history major is because I loved writing and I could write that one essay in like one go and I would have all this time to go do like three clubs, uh, Mm. get to really know my professors. All my jobs I've gone after college were all through relationships, networking, all the skills that she kind of taught me. Um, And I think she just taught me that it's okay to quote unquote be a blue lobster. Um, I took a gap year in the middle of college and she was incredibly encouraging of it to the point that she had to talk down my mother uh, (laughs) and my mother's concerns about throwing away my life. Like she actually got on a Zoom call with my mom and said, your daughter is just fine. Um, Her encouraging me not going into finance or consulting because I didn't want to, but that's the life path that was presented to me. And she said, you can figure it out on your own. You don't need to do this. So a lot of who I am was because we bumped into each other super serendipitously and I got to just absorb all of her amazingness. Wow. Okay. Plenty of different jumping off points from there. Um, really curious about that conversation you, you two had with your mom, but, um, 
you mentioned about how I th- how she kind of encouraged you not to go the finance route, but it seemed like you were kind of heading that direction. Like that was mm-hmm. a dream or like that was like an expectation for you. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about that kind of like moment when you realized like, I'm not going to take this internship and like I need to break away from this. this like, well, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, so funny enough, I did work in finance. Um, I was the over-eager freshman that went to the Goldman Sachs recruiting events and figured out how to get in there. Um, I think there was two things. I think I needed to do it so I could say I didn't want to do it, sort of like saying no from the inside versus being on my high horse on the outside. So I did end up working at Morgan Stanley my sophomore year of college. But I often joke, I got the internship and immediately knew I wouldn't like it and that I would never go back. But I think the expectation placed on me from, I guess, like society, my parents was, I didn't want to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So investment banker <laughs> was the next best <laughs> option. Uh, so I kind of was on that path. But I think once I got to college, I met people who worked in banking. I saw a lot of them weren't super happy. But I need to kind of prove to my mom that I wasn't throwing away my life by becoming a history major, which she definitely thought I was. <laughs> uh, so I need to kind of prove that one, I could do it their way to kind of prove them like I tried mm. and then be able to walk away with saying, I tried it your way. It didn't work. It wasn't fulfilling. It's not what I wanted to do. So I'm going to try something else. Um, so I would say... Yeah, I think, you know, there's a whole idea of like um, your inner voice, like when something just doesn't feel right. I think I always had that sense with finance or larger corporations. It just never felt right to me. And people like Deb, a lot of people in my life really encouraged me to start listening to that. And I started to trust myself that it's okay for me not to do this. I will figure it out and I will have a lucrative, financially fulfilling, and hopefully meaningful career. And I feel fortunate that I've gone to do that for myself since leaving finance. Okay. And you also mentioned how Deb like, talked about relationships, and it seems like you're very active at Brown, too. Um, and obviously, that's how like we've met and how you've kind of continued that since. Um, and so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. So then, um, you know, you did the, the finance thing for a little while. Um, and then uh, I want to talk about your first blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have many different articles on Medium, but the first post, this is May 2016. I love the quote. Uh, it says, today I start to stop. I'm going to stop letting society map out my path for me. They will not draw the boundaries that I have to confine myself within. Today I will begin to recreate my own map. Today, I will expand the borders of what I thought was possible. Today is the start of my new paper trail. Mm, I forgot I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) I remember where it came from, though, actually. Uh, It was like, it was really interesting. I went to a salon at Brown. One of my friends used to host these things called One Salon. And right in the beginning there was this kind of free mingle where you would get to know people over some sort of like interesting question or icebreaker or something like that. And I met a, I want to say he was a senior or junior when I was a freshman. 
And he decided to start a ginger beer company in college because he, every summer, would go hang out with Farmer Willie. And he made the best ginger beer. And I think his name was Nico. Nico was like, this is the best beer. People should get it. And so he was kind of really charting his own path. And as a freshman, you know, I'm presenting this about the finance or consulting, more or less. And I didn't know what else there was. And getting to meet somebody who was really starting to chart his own way I remember we were just having this conversation and I literally blurted out. I'm like, I just want to like, like redraw my own map or something like that. And he's like, that's it. That should be your life motto. You absolutely can do that. And I think that inspired that blog post. Um, And it's, it's like, that was really beautiful about Brown was finding people like Nico, like Deb, other students who just believed that there was other ways to lead life in a way that I had not been presented with growing up in Bangladesh. My mom's a doctor, my dad's an architect, very clear, defined paths. And to know that I had the ability to create my own path and to figure it out and it would work out. And even if it didn't, I had the ability to figure out how to make it work. So that was like, Really beautiful. So thank you for rereading that. I totally, <laughs> I need to go find that blog post and reread it again. Yeah. Uh, um, well, we'll link it into the show notes as well. So in case uh, you can always reference it there. Um, and you were kind of writing for like for a little while after that. Um, and yeah, how were you thinking about writing and working? Like I think that that kind of portfolio approach then was really interesting. Like what were you like? What was what was going on with writing and working like? Yeah, how were you thinking about it then? Yeah, that blog was honestly maybe my public journal in mm. a way. I think I really started it in college, but I really got into it because I took a gap year in the middle of my sophomore and junior year of college. And I just wanted to document what was happening for me, almost for myself. And I always had this belief that if this helps one person, it's worth it. And I found through writing that there is so much universality if that's the word, universality, (laughs) uh, in people's experiences, right? Of feeling lost, feeling unfulfilled, feeling stuck, really trying to pave your own way, figure out what your purpose, passion, path is in life. And what was really beautiful is through blogging, I was able to find a lot of connection when I would often travel to places where I had Mm. no friends, right? It was through the internet. This is how my friends kept in touch with me, how they kind of knew what I was going through. And it helped me process my own thoughts as well. Um, you know, as you're charting your own path, you have no idea what you're doing most of the time. So writing and writing in that public way was a way for me to process my thoughts as well. And it's like a great little reflection log now to be able to go back at it and see in so many ways I'm so different. And But at my core, I'm still the same. And it's almost like that 20-year-old, 21-year-old still had so much wisdom in her. And I can still continue to learn from her as she's like learning from me right now. So that's kind of beautiful about the writing. In terms of how it relates to work, it had no connection to work. <laughs> I think it was sort of my creative outlet. It was just another way I could engage in the world because I think you talk about this, like having a portfolio of careers, of passions. Um, I never viewed myself as a one-sided person. I'm very multi-passionate. I love doing multiple things. So writing to me was just like another thing that I was super passionate about that I wanted to express. And it fed, I guess, more of the soul part of me, whereas like work fed more of the intellectual side of me. Um, and you mentioned how, like, you may be similar uh, as the as the writer in 2016, 17, 18, 19. 
how do you like what do you think is kind of still the same mm. the curiosity the inquisitiveness the person who likes to question to challenge to not just follow the status quo but to ask why this is a status quo in the first place um i think that 20 year olds like joy and excitement about what life has in store and i think what's really beautiful is that 20 year old had seen a lot and done a lot and experienced a lot <laughs> but i don't even think she could imagine all the things i've experienced today and that's like really beautiful to me mm. is that 20 year old couldn't even imagine the life i've gone to build right now the place i've gone to travel the type of people i've met the communities that i've gotten to build and be a part of so I'm in a way like very proud of that 20 year old because she I am the I am the product of that 20 year old who just had that zest for life. Mm. Um, so I think all of those core tenets are still still there. OK, um, there was uh, another post or one of the posts in there also really stood out to me. And I think it um, it started off with uh, it's around the topic of fear. Mm -hmm. And you wrote, a couple of years ago, I ran a survey amongst 150 of my friends. One of the questions I asked them was, what is your biggest fear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> um, what was the survey? Like, what, what were you... What was I doing at the time? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was more tactical. I think at the time I was trying to start a coaching business because yeah. I've always loved helping people and mentoring people. And and I had a lot of different skill sets and knowledge. So I was like, oh, like, where, where should I focus? Like what, you know, literal market research. What's the problem that people are facing? And is there a product uh, that I can create based off of that or a solution? Uh, lo and behold, I didn't actually think 150 of my friends would answer. Um, I can't remember the exact response, but I think it was like something like the biggest fears were either like financial instability uh, and lack of meaning, fulfillment, purpose. And it's amazing how that hasn't changed. And that's even still like my core fears. I am around so many of my friends who are so smart, ambitious and stuff. And these feelings still are the same like these are these were 20 21 year olds in college had not started working and it's crazy how five six seven years later we're all in the workforce these fears have not gone we're still struggling with it so it, it's clear that this is like i feel like this plagues so many people um but yeah that was a funny funny survey to run i got some really interesting <laughs> responses <laughs> for sure pull up that google sheet i uh, should, google I should form look, see what's in there like, hey that's a hey that'd be a cool thing to like then email those people like, hey i haven't talked to you in a while ago <laughs> i was just looking at this thing that you filled out four years ago <laughs> and yeah you said your biggest fear was x like how's that going yeah um wait so you said people's fears are what were the three that you kind of it was like financial instability and lack of purpose passion fulfillment like what am i going to do with my life almost mm. um a lot of people worry that they wouldn't figure it out in college and it sounded like you said that that's something that you that's kind of your fear too or what or is there something else that's your biggest fear these days mm. I wouldn't say that's my fear right now. I think I know how to tackle it in pretty more more tactical ways. 
I would say like my biggest fear is maybe not living up to my potential mm. or not not creating the life that I believe I'm capable of creating because I'm scared of its bigness almost. I'm I'm almost overwhelmed by the potential of what I could do because I'm I'm so fortunate and I'm so privileged that there's no excuse in my mind to not go after it. But sometimes that's super scary. I almost wish I was more ignorant. Like ignorance is such bliss. <laughs> So, so yeah, the, I would say that's probably a core fear. Right mm. now. So a big, a big life. And what is that? What does that look like? Or what do you think is like a step that you want to take that maybe it's like an email that's in the draft folder mm-hmm. or a phone call that you haven't made or a text message that you haven't sent or an event you haven't hosted yet? What, what is that? Mm. That's a good question. I think a lot of it's definitely around finances, probably. Mm. I think... I do, I'm fortunate to do pretty well right now, but I think there's always a desire for, or maybe we're conditioned for more. <laughs> we always desire more. Um, I think I've kept my more mostly in check. I do most of the things I want to do. Um, you know what it is? I think actually what I desire more of is freedom. Mm. Uh, I want maybe almost more autonomy and more control over my time so I can spend it doing more of the things I love. Um, One of my really good friends actually had this conversation with me. I think I expressed this lack of fulfillment or fear or just like a down day about like life itself. And she asked me like, what does your dream life look like? Mm. What's in it? And I said, it's organizing events with my friends, having a really good community, going to the best restaurants in the world, I love food, Um, traveling to beautiful places, immersing myself in culture and history, Um, doing work that I find meaningful and fulfilling and being able to impact people. And then she asked me to look at my current life and she's Mm. like, are you not already doing all of those things? And I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I I am. And she said, it may not look exactly like how you imagine Mm. your dream life, but you already are leading most, if not all of it, just in maybe slightly different proportions. Um, and she almost had me think about my life as like a pie chart. And she like basically just had me show like how, what proportion of the pie chart are those different things. And she basically said, all the slices are there. You just need to change the proportions. And that's really what you're working on right now is to create like more time for friends, more time for community, more time for building, less time doing like, uninteresting work, um, less time doing the things that, you know, right now, I guess, like funding my life and my lifestyle and more of my creative passions. Uh, and I hope to ultimately just let my creative passions fund the the lifestyle itself. But I thought it was a really beautiful, like little gut check that she gave mm. me, which was to remind myself that I have more than enough right now. I am doing all the things I wanted to be doing and imagined that I always wanted to do. I just have small adjustments to make, and that's a pretty great place to be. Yeah, the pie chart. I like that. Um, how do you think you're gonna kind of like remember that, or how do you think you're gonna like revisit that if like mm-hmm. feeling like, damn, you know, I could do so much more. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, I do gratitude journals every mm-hmm. morning, and these things all get into it. Like friends, community work. I have managers who support the heck out of me. Um, I think my bank balance, I think I have a home, I can Mm. cook, I have food. I have, I give a lot of gratitude towards simple things. And I would say that always keeps me in balance and check. And I almost like visualize the pie chart. Anytime I'm actually like a little, eh, I will 
actually visually see the pie chart and remind mm. myself like you are so much further than you think uh, you are. There was a great book. I haven't read it, but the concept is very simple, which is the gap and the gain. Mm. And most people focus on the gap between where they are and the, the dream, the reality that they actually want, but they forget about the gain, which is where they started to where they are now. And anytime I'm focused on the gap, I will visualize that pie chart and remember the gains. Like I am so much further than I thought I would be. I can do so many of the things that I always wanted to be able to do without worrying, without stressing. So it's like a good little reminder of like, you got to acknowledge how far you've come mm-hmm. instead of focusing on how much further you have to go. So that's always uh, been a good, good check. Well, one way to kind of check in is a question that you asked me when we first got together on a one-on-one, which is, how's your heart doing? And I think that was the first question you yeah. asked me. Yeah, that's the first question. I was like, they're like, you're like, you want some coffee? It's like, yeah, yeah, we sit down. It's like, David, how's your heart doing? <laughs> Are you asking me that? Yeah. How's my heart? I say my heart right now is both grounded and restless, I would mm. say. It's grounded in that I feel really good with, I guess I, oh, I'll backtrack. I see life in buckets of like, your work, your finances, health, wealth, spirituality, friends, relationships, um, you know, kind of like the classic things. And I'm very grounded in that I feel really good about basically four of the five buckets. I feel really good about my friendships, my community, my spirituality, my health, my finances. I think work is pretty good right now, but um, there's a concept I really enjoyed learning about which is your zone of excellence versus your zone of genius have mm-hmm. you heard of it before yeah yeah, yeah. so for those who don't uh, there's four zones you can kind of operate in there's your zone of incompetence you're not very good at it your zone of competence you're okay at it there's people who are better at it most people stay in their zone of excellence uh, it's probably what you're paid for it's probably what your work is uh, it's something you're very good at and society values you for it, but it might feel sometimes like a struggle or toil doesn't necessarily come easy. You have to work at it. And then there's your zone of genius, which is that's your flow state. That's the thing you don't even have to try hard. You're just naturally really, really good at it. And I often feel like I stay in my zone of excellence within work because I know how to plug into existing systems and do well in it. I'm still trying to figure out how to build my own system mm. in a way. And there is fear around just doing that and taking the leap. But I know my zone of genius exists there. And so I'm trying to take steps, I guess, to figure out how do I move more of myself in there while still keeping the other buckets like good and full and make sure I feel grounded and safe in all of these leaps of faith I'm about to take. Yeah. So g- zone of excellence. Mm-hmm is where kind of the work bucket is now. Mm -hmm. And for a little bit of context, that's mostly in kind of product marketing Mm -hmm. for tech companies. Um, But I think what's really interesting is like product marketing, and I'm probably wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it really is around like stories. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't seem like it's very digital marketing ad focused. Yeah, it could be wrong. but, um, But then like, uh, how we met is through a um, a community that you, an event series that you help run called Storytell, which is all about stories. So like when we think about like portfolio careers and we think about like really creating like a vibrant life and stuff, a lot of times it is like these kind of like 
flywheels, right? Or like, what's the thing that we could just like keep doing or that we love doing and just like the medium's different or, and it's like, in this case, it's like storytell the event series and like there's stories at work. Like it's pretty freaking cool. It is pretty cool. Um, it's, I guess it's almost like, yes, for a lot of product marketing is storytelling. It's like the story of your product and convincing people to buy into it. There's a lot of other stuff that's not as <laughs> storytelling oriented. <laughs> I would say um, so and it, I think it also depends on like how much you love telling the story of your product mm. and it's not to say I don't love tech and I don't love software I do I can wax poetic about like a notion versus slack versus like all these sock too I heard you talking about sock too oh, I was yeah. like oh my gosh yep yep I worked in compliance automation <laughs> I worked in workflow automation so I can get excited about some pretty esoteric topics <laughs> in marketing. But I think at the end of the day, the reason I do storytell is at the end of the day, I want to tell stories of people. Mm. And I think that's the way I've always connected to people. And I can't, I just can't connect at a soul level to software. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Um, and there could, there totally could be um, software spaces or industries that allow me to connect maybe in that way. But I would not say B2B SaaS is that right now for me. Connect at a soul level? Mm-hmm. Soul level. What is that? I think maybe just as a young kid, I've just always been curious about people mm-hmm. uh, and myself. I've always been very into personal growth, developing a lot of self-awareness, because I think the more self-aware I am, the better I can communicate myself to other people and the better I can allow them to connect with me. By telling them literally, like, this is who I am. This is the way I think about the world. This is this is my heart. This is my soul. Mm. This is my spirit. So software is like you're telling the story of these features and products and trying to, like, solve the problem. But I think to me it's it's more fundamental. It's like what is what does it mean to be human? And I think that's almost the question I want to be able to answer through my lifetime because I ran a survey with 150 <laughs> college students and that is the question they're all asking themselves in a way. Um, and I've always been like a helper type personality. And if that's the question I really see fundamentally plaguing people, I would love to play some small part in helping alleviate that stress and that fear. Because I think if more people are doing something that lights them up, I actually think through like butterfly effects and domino effects, the world will actually be a better place. Mm. So I want to play one small part in doing that. Well, I think you're playing a part in it already, even even though, you know, it, it can be bigger, but... Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Connect on a soul level. Um, and so, yeah, for a little bit of context to people, Storytell is a monthly event series that has a t- theme, mm-hmm. theme uh, that guides the stories that people share in a very kind of open mic type of format. If you haven't been, definitely go. Um, yeah, and 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 you've also you obviously host a lot of other events and stuff. Like, what do you, what do you think drives that? Is that? I'd say it's a desire for connection, and maybe I learned. Um, if anybody knows the Enneagram, it's a fun personality test you can take. And I'm a Type Three Wing Two, which is a split between the achiever and I'm not I think maybe the caretaker or like the people orientated person and apparently my core fear is being alone Mm. um, and not having people and connection and during my gap year 
That's the most alone I've ever been in my life because I always had friends growing up. I was always super social. I joke in college, I knew one third of my graduating class of, so that's of 1600 students, I knew one third of them. On a soul level, probably. On a, on a semi-soul <laughs> level, you know, but more than a high five. Uh, Cause I, I really enjoy getting to know people. And what was really interesting is once I started traveling by myself and just working for that year off, I had a really hard time connecting with people mm. in different places, different countries. And I was so perplexed. I was like, I'm so social. Why am I struggling to make friends? Mm. And that feeling really killed me inside. And writing was one way I kind of dealt with it and trying to just stay in touch with my friends. But I think because of that experience, I never wanted anybody to feel that way. So that's a big reason why when I moved to a city, I really like to throw these events and I like to meet people who have just moved or are looking for that because I know what it feels like to not have it. And I want to bring them in and show them like other amazing humans that they could connect with so they just feel a little less alone in this world. So I would say that's always been the driving motivation. But and the, But the gap year, like, that was your decision mm -hmm. and without an agenda, right? You yeah. just said like, hey, I'm a sophomore. I'm just going to go. Yeah. Um, and then that now from that place is what like you're continuing to like build from and have like empathy for people from that experience. Yeah, absolutely. That was... That was like a very interesting year off. I At the time, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> that was like, like I'm a venture back tech startup. That was my, my life's goal. And basically, I had diagnosed in myself that I had never failed in my life. And I had never dealt with any sort of uncertainty or ambiguity. So I actually declared my year with nothing planned. And I basically told my dean, yeah, I'm going to take a year off. And I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to figure it out. And I ended up um, like learning how to like send the email that was scary. I would get these like random internships. I convinced a company in Germany to hire me. So I worked in Berlin for like three months. I was in New York, I was in LA. I maybe moved around, I think I had something like 15 homes. I would, I would, yeah, I would just like not have enough money to support myself. And I would ask a friend like, does anybody know anywhere I could stay? I would stay with like a friend of a friend of a friend in like random places. Um, so it was like a, a real test in like resiliency and perseverance and having your back against the wall and have to figure something out because my parents kept pushing me to go back to college and let like let go of this crazy experiment I had. But I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and have the resiliency. So that was the driving motivation for the gap year. I definitely learned how to deal with um, whatever forms of failure, ambiguity, uncertainty, uh, and teach myself just a lot of like good life skills. But I always consider myself pretty empathetic, but I think that experience as a byproduct of just like the loneliness and the struggles and just how I suck at asking for help and mm. I had no choice but to ask for help multiple, multiple, multiple times during that year off and people really stepping up, connecting with me, um, showing me resources, sending like whatever I needed. And so I think it increased my humanity, my kindness, my empathy, all the all the human human soft skills, I would say, was like the byproduct of going through that, which was not my goal at all going into that year. But I'm really glad I experienced it because it paints a lot of who I am today and the communities and events that I try to throw. Yeah. And what's interesting is like you still love traveling. Yes. Like it's not like, okay, you're like, all right, I had this trip and this trip was tough. 
And now I would just want to get comfortable and like, you know, kind of build around like my roots and stuff. Like you still love traveling. It seems like that's like what you're, you know, I don't know if it's like 40 countries or 50 countries now, but you want to go to like a lot more. But like, it's just like so interesting to like how like this travel experience was a hardship for you. But yet you're like, I still want to travel. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 40 countries now. So goal is to be to as many countries as my age, as my reason to live to 100. And... I think travel is my other reason to be. So I'd say one is mm. connecting with humans and helping people just kind of tap into themselves. And the other one is to travel, mostly because I think the world is so beautiful. And I think it's a disservice not to try and see as much of it as you can. I think it also gives me a lot of perspective. It makes me love New York more by actually mm. being away from it for long periods of time. Because I can appreciate what New York has that other places don't have, but I can also appreciate what other places have that New York does not have. So I think it helps me be actually a more open-minded person, uh, a kinder person, a more empathetic person. It often teaches me different ways of going about life. Because I think when you're stuck in one place, you automatically fall into literally the city's groupthink of how you should be, the pace you should be going at, the ambitions you should be having. Uh, I think there's a whole concept of like mimetic desires, right? Which is you pick up the desires uh, or goals of people around you versus them actually being your own interest. So I think by getting out of these bubbles, it kind of shows you that I think, you know, most of Europe, for example, takes the whole month of August off. Yeah. It's like a little, like, who thought, like, adults could have summer vacation? Like, New Yorkers don't, <laughs> right? But you go there and you're like, the country still run fine. The people are still doing great. Um, and you can do that. You can lead a slower life. You can lead a more romantic life. You can lead um, a life where, like, you really do leave at five and you spend three hours over dinner with your friends with your phones away. Uh, whereas sometimes in New York, it feels like everyone's on a, like a one hour increment. And once you hit that one hour, it's like, okay, I got to go. I have a 30 minute commute. And I need to hit the next thing. So I think it just gives me perspective that there are so many ways to lead life. And I try to take the best of everything I learn to craft, I guess, like my ideal life. Yeah. Ideal life. Is there um, anything else that you're doing to try to craft the ideal life, like to try to get to that? Or is there like an exercise that you think other people could do to try to um, reflect on where they're at and where they could be? Yeah, absolutely. I think something is as simple as like just almost do a calendar audit Mm. and just like um, mark in green the activities that are energizing you, mark in red that the activities that drain you. Figure out where in the day you have the most energy and you move more of the green things into that space and the times where you don't have the most energy, move the red things into that space as much as you can, right? Not everything's in our control, but to the best of your ability, you absolutely can do that. So for example, I have a do not disturb from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on my calendar. Mm. Nobody in my company can book a meeting with me during that time because that is my like highest cognitive like I'm a morning person is when I do my routines is when I do my best work and I do all my meetings in the afternoon because I tend to get afternoon slumps for example or my emails are kind of then um I think it's also just like worth asking like what are the activities that you're doing that like bring you joy where you feel flow where you feel energized and just ask yourself like how can Mm. you bring more of that into your life in your work life or in your personal life who are the people that are draining you and energizing you? How do you let go of those and bring more of the good ones in? I think it's just doing like literally simple, simple audits of 
what brings you energy and what feels good and what doesn't and how do you have more of that and less of the other and just doing things like that i think you will be a happier person you'll be a more grounded person you'll be a more fulfilled person hopefully and because most people are like oh what's my purpose what's my passion i don't know what i want to do i think you can just start with like the things you're already doing and see and just like mind map off of it like if you really love outdoors and your work is i don't know banking (laughs) so it's like okay i can't do the outdoors and banking but like what are other ways you can bring the outdoors like just taking like more nature walks is it like really going hiking more on the weekend is it volunteering for some sort of like outdoor community right it's just like how do you bring more of those things in so you can quote unquote design a life that feels good and more fulfilling to you so i've tried to do that with my own I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, hmm. Is there anything else that you think that anything else you'd want to like, I don't say challenge, but share with people that they could do if people wanted to host an event? Is there anything that you think like really stands out there that you do or anything else that you want to share? Yeah. I think a lot of people are scared to host because it seems scary. There's a lot of responsibility. Uh, One of the best things I've done for myself with hosting is to absolve myself of the responsibility of people's fun. It's not Mm. my job to make sure they have fun. Instead, it is my job to create a container with some basic guardrails and some rules and allow people to take care of themselves. Like people are responsible for their own fun. They are adults. You just provide the container. And even doing simple things as setting intentions as people walk in. Mm. So let's use a a potluck brunch that I hosted, for example, last week. So the point of the potluck brunch was to enable deeper conversation and connection with our friends because often we might hang out with our friends and just talk about what's happening in our life, but we don't actually get to know them or their stories or their thoughts or really who they are. So I wanted to create a space to allow that. A couple things I did was one, in the event invite, I was very clear, this is what we're going to do. This is my intention for the event. So you can opt in or opt out. So you're self-selecting and you're participating in my little social experiment. (laughs) Um, The second thing I did is before people even entered on my door, I had a bunch of instructions. I basically said, welcome to potluck. Here's an icebreaker you can use to get to know people. This is how you can help Samani when she says she doesn't want help. Uh, so you know, I'm enabling my guests to have like a host mentality and to help me mm. out, to help everyone else out. Um, and then at the end, I think I basically said, this is a room of like really amazing people come in with an open heart, an open mind, uh, an appetite, because there will be lots of food and let's have a lot of fun. Um, so if people are reading that, they're getting into the right mindset coming into that space. And then once they enter, I had like little signs just so people could take care of themselves. Like I had a sign on the shoe closet so people could put their shoes away. I had like um, conversation prompts so I didn't have to be responsible of helping people like get into more interesting conversation. I could outsource that to a card game I have. Uh, Even like where the plates and drinks are, I literally told people this is where you place everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I barely had to do anything. I allowed my friends to basically host themselves in this container I had created. And then once I started the event and we played this card game and we had this amazing conversation, all I had to do was set the set the stage i basically said this is what we're gonna do this is the mindset i want you to come in with and i encourage you to like take it where you want to because this is our event it's not my event 
And my friends did an amazing job because, again, they've self-selected into this little experiment. They want to do it. And I created the container for them to do it. And so we had an amazing, what was it, five hours, I think we yeah. all hung out. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, amazing. And the conversations were great. And I barely had to do anything. <laughs> um, and because I told people to clean the dishes because that's how they could help me. By and the everyone time brought food, too. Everyone brought food, too. <laughs> so I didn't have to do all the cooking. I left my home in pristine condition because I allowed my friends to take mm. care of themselves. So that's sort of what I would encourage anybody who's thinking about hosting is, how can you absolve yourself of all the responsibility? How can you create like little guardrails to allow people to take care of themselves and create the experience you want to create? And how can you help yourself? Like mm. being a host is a lot of work. What are little things you can outsource and trust your friends to be there for you or trust the people who you're inviting to be there for you? People want to help. Um, mm. It is a disservice if you do not allow them to help you. Uh, so allow them to help you, ask for help or create a sign that says how they can help if you keep saying you don't need help. That's what I did because <laughs> I never asked for help. So those are like my hosting tips. And then I would definitely recommend reading The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker if you have some time. I think it's a phenomenal book mm. on a lot of what I just said. She basically put to words what I always thought. And mm. it's an amazing book on how to bring people together. I love it. I love it. And so... To be continued on further conversations between us, Samani. Um, next Storytel, if people want to stay in touch, if people want to go to Storytel in New York City. Yeah, where else can people like connect with you? And Yeah, so if you want to come to Storytel, our Instagram is StorytelNYC. We haven't announced it yet, but the next Storytel should be September 13th. So if you are in New York, please come through. We host them every month. We don't pick a specific day. So the best way to find out about the next one is just follow the Instagram page. So Storytel NYC. And then to find me, you can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Just type in, I said just type in Samani into Google and you will find me. <laughs> uh, I have a very Googleable name. I believe I own Samani.com actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Samani Maboob on Instagram. If you just type in Samani, S-A-M-A-N-E-E onto Instagram, I'm usually the first two hits. So feel free to follow, share, send me a message, tell me who you are if you listen to David's podcast, and then I will probably confirm your friend, <laughs> friend invite because I do keep it private. Um, and yeah, and I would also say if you find me on LinkedIn, my email is there. Send mm. me an email. I always love chatting with people. I've literally chatted with so many strangers through my blogs. People message me all the time. And it's amazing the the global connections and relationships I've gotten to make through my writing as well. So I'm always happy to take an email and a, a quick coffee chat too. I love it. Thank you so much, Samani. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter. LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.